Hi, this is Yujun Kang, and you're listening to the Chasing Dreams podcast with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Hey, Dream Chasers, this is Amy J. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. Every listen, download, subscribe, and share you do means so much to me. Now, as you know, as you've listened to any of the previous episodes, I really enjoy getting my friends on the show. And I've already had today's guest's wife on the show. She was on back in episode five. Her name was Anna Kila. And today I have Anne's husband, Yujun Kang, on the show. And so Yujun is a development manager and product owner at Riot Games. He lives in Los Angeles with his family. And today he's here to share his, his amazing Dream Chase story. And so without further ado, here's Yujun. Hey, Yujun, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I am wonderful in this uh, cold climate we got going on on the northeast. Uh, how's it over in L.A.? Uh, it's, it's 73. I almost feel like I'm taunting you when I say that. It, it, is, it is actually 73. It's, it's really beautiful out today. Somebody should enjoy that kind of weather. <laughs> I, I, you know, I might have felt a pang just a little bit when you told me that, but... Somebody has to enjoy it, right? Yeah, it's 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 absolutely beautiful. But the thing is, I spend most of my time indoors, so like it's kind of wasted on me. That's true, but I'm sure you don't miss the snow of the Northeast, do you? No, I mean snow is just one of those things. Like, I think when you're growing up, it's just a wonderful thing. But when you're an adult and like you have to dig out your car and like go to work, it's it's just a worst. I think you hit the nail on the head there, because <clears throat> that's exactly how most people feel, right? When you're a kid, it's like, oh, that's so awesome. With school delays, stay at home. As you're when you're an adult, it's like I got to figure out how to get to work. Yeah, it's just a real drag. Um, but you know that's part of it that I miss too. I mean, like I remember um, a, there was a snowstorm, like a, a, like was it 2003 in Baltimore, where it like snowed like crazy, and I just remember like walking down in Mount Vernon in Baltimore, and it was it was just me, you know, like in the snowstorm. The big big one, right? Yeah, yeah, the big one. Um, and I was walking down Charles Street, which is like a main. So I, I was, I'm talking like everybody knows Baltimore, but like there's a big street called Charles Street that goes from like the heart of the city all the way up to um, uh, Johns Hopkins. It's one of the main and, streets. Yeah, and it was just completely deserted, and it was amazing because it was just me and a few stragglers, just kind of wandering the streets and like uh, grabbing a beer at the one bar that was open. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I do kind of miss that, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. This is a small moment. Uh, it'll be gone soon. We'll be back in spring. Yeah. You know, and you guys will continue to have that beautiful weather. Yeah. I mean, how how are you coping with the weather right now? Is is it is it pretty bad or I mean It's cold. Like, uh but yeah. you know what once you've been here and you know what it's like. You've been here and you you're used to the cold. You kind of just go with it. There's nothing yeah. you can do about it. I mean, you just layer up and you you face it. Yeah, yeah. Um I mean, it's funny too. Like I I I just got acclimated to the weather. Mm-hmm. Um and so anytime it dips below 50, 50 degrees, I'm freezing. Like I'm I'm like, oh it's so cold. You know, or or um 
like rain, like people freak out when it rains here, right? Like as soon as it starts raining, like traffic gets worse. Like people are like, oh my God, I got to get home before the rain hits. And um, I haven't quite gotten to that state, but I think I'm, I'm getting pretty close. Like Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's crazy. <laughs> and, and speaking of when we were kids and on a snow day, you were probably playing video games, right? Your favorite video game of all time is Braid, mm-hmm. which I've never heard of. What is Braid? Oh, uh, okay. So uh, Braid is amazing. So, uh, I mean, so uh, have you ever played Super Mario? Yes. Okay. So if you've played Super Mario, you kind of know the, the, the types of like side-scrolling games where like you, you play this little character who like jumps on platforms and right, um, you try to get to the end of the level without like falling through a hole or getting hit by an enemy. Yes. Um, so this game, Braid, uh, came out, I think, right when we started law school, actually. I think around like 2004, 2005. Um, and it came out on Xbox Live. And it was this like small game like no one had really heard of. I mean, it had won some awards um, as, a, as a prototype a while back. And uh, the game is basically uh, a, a take on Super Mario uh, by injecting time travel into it. Uh, and you have to uh, use that time traveling mechanic uh, and like solve these puzzles um, to get to the end of the game. Uh, and what made it so special was um, at the end of the game, so the whole game for me, like I think Jonathan Blow, the creator, would disagree with me, but um, the whole game for me was about this guy who had broken up with his girlfriend and was trying to get back together with her, right? He's like chasing after her. Um, so it was kind of like a nice take on like the, 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 uh, the main character chasing after the princess in peril uh, trope in video games. Yes, um, and very common one. Super common. Um, I mean, Super Mario still does it to this day. Uh, and and when you get to the last level, uh, you arrive at her bedroom, and you can't enter her bedroom. And when you click the time travel button, so like it reverses time, um, it it you find out that it wasn't that you were chasing, like that you had to rescue her. Wait, is this a spoiler was, alert? Should we spoiler alert this? It is a spoiler alert, but if you haven't, the game is like ten years old. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, fair enough. I understand. Yeah. C- um, continue. So, spoiler alert. Uh, if you haven't played Braid, you should go play it. But spoiler alert. Uh, it turns out that it wasn't that sh- she was being kidnapped and you had to rescue her. She was actually running away from you the entire time. Oh, um, and it was twist. the first time that I experienced this moment where uh, you had a game mechanic that was expressing a philosophical idea in a way that felt really powerful and emotional that only a game could express. And that really blew me away at the time. Like, really blew me away. And I remember just sitting there after finishing the game uh, and thinking, like, how... Do I do that? That's interesting. Like, I want to do that, but I have no idea how to do that, right? Um, and I, I had always played games before, mm-hmm. um, but uh, never to a degree where I felt like I had this inkling to want to go make games. Cause, because to me, they were just pieces of entertainment, right, that you just engage with and then forgot about. Right. Um, and this was the first time uh, in a long time where I had played it and it had such an impact on me that I wanted to go make a game. Wow, so, and, uh, so you'd say that this was kind of a, a significant moment in your life. Mm-hmm. That was a moment, um, you know, because I was being really irresponsible in law school. You know, I, I had this loan taken out to, to pay for law school, and, like, I had partly taken some of that money, uh, you know, and subsequently I ate, like, ramen noodles for, like, two months. But, like, <laughs> I had taken some of that money to get an Xbox and a flat screen, like a tiny flat screen TV or, like, a... 23 inch it was like very small 
Um, but still a luxury that still you luxury. normally like, wouldn't or shouldn't use your law school loan on. Uh, absolutely not. And, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, up to that point, like I hadn't really bought a console necessarily, right? Like in college, I was mainly just playing on my PC and playing games with people in the dorm. Um, so this was a big deal for me. And um, I just thought it was going to be this thing where I just kind of like dick around and, you know, play some games. But man, that, I played that game and I just fell so in love with it and so in love with the idea of making games that um, I just, you know, that first year of law school, I, sp- I played so much. I played so many games. Um, because I had to catch up on the backlog, right, of like games that I hadn't played. Um, right, because Braid was just the beginning of probably what what other games that you did you discover that were similarly hit you? Um, so there's this game by a guy called Jason Rohrer. Um, I can't. Uh, the game's called The Passage, and it was making huge waves at the time. Uh, I think around the same time, people were talking about how amazing this game is, like how um, it's a new form of game and. And so I, 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 you can download it for free, actually. Um, and the game is about just one character walking from the left screen, from the left side of the screen to the right side of the screen, and it goes on forever. And as you walk, you age, and then you eventually die. Um, oh, wow. Which, um, when you first play it, you're like, okay, that's it. Like, I get it. Like, I got <laughs> old and I died. Um, but as you walk around, there are these obstacles, and you can actually go out of your way to pick up treasures. But if, if you go out of your way to pick up those treasures you lose momentum. So you don't, go, you don't get as far as you want um, to the right side of the screen. Um, so you have to make these choices. So, you know, like, if you think about it, it's, it's a nice metaphor for life, right? I Which was is just like, thinking that, yes. Yeah, you have these opportunities that you go after, but then, you know, you trade it for something else. So I was like, okay, well, that's like a nice thought exercise. And what I didn't realize was um, when, you, when you start the game and you go up, there's a companion waiting for you, and that's your spouse. Um, and when you're, when you run into your spouse, you start holding hands and you become a, a unit. But mm-hmm. because you're a unit, you can't pursue certain opportunities because certain puzzles you can only access as, as one person, right? Um, and so, like, there are certain opportunities that you can't access as a couple, right? But you're with this person this entire time and sometimes you can access certain areas uh, and then eventually that person dies as you, as you go. And it didn't hit me as hard as Braid, but I just remember actually kind of being moved by that, by that idea that, this idea that um, you can take an interactive um, uh, experience, mm-hmm. like, like a game, and actually communicate something about how we live our lives and what's important to us. And again, that was another thing where I was like, oh my God, like, you can do that? I didn't know you could do that. And so um, that's, that, 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 that's another game that during, around that time that really like, got me going. And it guys, going. We'll, we'll have links to, to these games so you can kind of see for yourself what they're about. But yeah, you should. That seems very com- complex. I mean, I, I now when I look back at Super Mario, I'm like, wait, did was there a deeper meaning to it? What, like, I'm sure not all games are like that, but I never thought any game, to be honest, uh, could get to that level. Yeah, and I, I never thought of it that way either. You know, um, I mean, I, I, I was literally doing it just for entertainment, right? Um, I mean, a lot of the games that I played in college were like multi, like first-person multiplayer games, right? Like Quake Arena, Half Life, um, Half Life Two, um, uh, Counter Strike, uh, Age of Empires, stuff like that, right? Like you're just trying to have fun with your friends. Um, and even with the Xbox, right? It was like Halo. Like you have these experiences um, that are more sort of geared towards entertainment. Um, and so, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it, it's just that I wasn't thinking about it in those terms until those guys came along. 
and, and release these games that just absolutely blew my mind. Wow. And, yeah. and, and now, now that's a whole different movement in, in games, right? Like, if you go to uh, the Game Developers Conference every year in, in, in San Francisco, like, you know, you have the Experimental Game Workshop where people present, like, experimental game mechanics that are supposed to explore, like, really deep questions in life. Um, you know, one of my friends, Joel, he, him and his wife and, and a bunch of other guys uh, created this game called That Dragon Cancer that deals with his, um, the loss of his son to brain cancer. Um, so there are these... Like games have come a really long way in terms of being able to like capture experiences in our lives and make them interactive and make them and, and allow you to experience those moments and experience those emotions uh, in ways that other mediums can't, which is really exciting. And so all of this goes to the creative nature that you, you've told me about that you've felt in your life, that you've always kind of known you wanted to be creative in some way, shape or form. Did that begin at an early age? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the earliest memory I have of wanting to make something was after I watched, um, <coughs> excuse me, after I watched Never Ending Story, the sequel. <laughs> and that was a good movie, after, though. I have to admit, I like that movie. I, I, you know, I haven't seen it since, but I, I still have memories of loving that movie, right? Because mm-hmm. like, I watched it multiple times. And... I remember after watching that movie, like I actually went and sat down on my computer, like this old 486, and opened up the word processor software and started like typing the the sequel to the sequel. Um, and I didn't get very far, but it was the first time where I felt like, oh, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna see if I can, I can do this too. You know, um, that was the earliest memory I had, and and I think even in school. Uh, in, so in Korea, like when you're growing up, like anytime you do sort of art activities, they're geared more towards like a uh, competition. So there's like a poetry competition. And I remember like participating in those and um, not being that interested, honestly, in like other areas in school. I mean, I was, I was, I was good at those areas only because, you know, like in Korea, like the way you're taught material is like you just memorize things. I was just really good at memorizing things. Right. So you had um, it. Yeah. And so like that was, that stuff was easy, but not, not that interesting and I remember one time, like my, uh, I got nominated to join like the, the the elementary school like the the math competition team, and I was mm-hmm. definitely the worst member of that team. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, I was I was so bad. I think I, I was there for one session, and I just did, never went back. <laughs> they probably weren't too bad about that then. Uh yeah, I don't think I, don't, I think they're actually happy to see me go. Yeah. <coughs> it was one of those like yeah okay I think for the better of both of us I just won't come back. Yeah, I was, I mean, you know, it was the same thing in college for me. Like, I was pre-pharmacy, and I just didn't. It's, like, organic chemistry, like, to this day, it gives me nightmares. And, I think it gives everybody nightmares. Um, I just didn't get it. And, you know, that, I mean, that's why I, like, skipped all my science classes and just went to the English classes, because that was more interesting to me. So you have this love, though, and how did you end up in law school? I, I say that because I'm your friend, and I can say that, guys. Uh <laughs> Because you have this creative streak, and as someone who who would always encourage someone to pursue their 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 love or interest, you know, law school is not creative usually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Uh, so that's a really long story. I mean, uh, I used to, and to this day, like you know, I, I joke a lot about how awful law school was and how how much I hated it, um, and and how like the best thing about law school was that I met my wife, right? Um, but 
when I look back at it now, it was actually a really great experience for me because you know, it taught me how to think analytically and how to evaluate a problem and how to solve it mm-hmm. um, and, and to how to ask questions, right? Like how to ask questions in terms of like, why are we doing this? Like, why should we take this approach? Um, and also being able to understand the other side's perspective. Um, all those things, like, I think help me every day when I do my work. Um, and I don't think I would be able to do that if I hadn't gone to law school, to be honest. Um, so... Uh, I, I, I definitely owe a lot to going to law school. I th- you know, I, I don't think I would be able to work in the industry without that. You know, without those skill sets. So you don't um, think of it as a, as a wasted experience. It just turned out differently for you. Yeah, and I don't think any experience is wasted. Right? Like I think it all leads to something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just so happened that um, it put me in the right place in the right time to join like the game industry. And so I feel very lucky. I think. I think. A lot of life just comes down to luck and circumstance, and 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 kind of being at that lucky crossroad. Um, but uh, yeah, so in terms of going to law school, I mean, so when I was in college, I I, I was started off as a pre pharmacy major, uh, and I actually really hated it, and actually wanted to go to uh, film school, um, and because I was in law school, uh, sorry, in high school, uh, I got really interested in films, and this is during the time when like VHS was still a thing. <laughs> You know, like in the late '90s, and and um, and when my, making movies wasn't as easy as it is today. Oh no, it's so hard. Yeah, like nowadays, it's so easy, right? Like anyone can do it, right? From your phone, you have, right? Yeah, anyone if they're motivated enough, they can do it. And but back in those days, like it was pretty much impossible, or at least it felt like it felt that way. Um, and because I was, I I lived in Indiana, right? Like if you go to Hollywood Video, like you're not gonna find eight and a half, right? Like you're not gonna. You're not going to find the great films that you, you, you should be watching. And so um, I was really hungry. I was like really enthusiastic, but I um, just didn't know how to, how to get there. And so I've, even though I really wanted to go to film school, um, I ended up going to Purdue and uh, joining the pre-pharmacy program uh, on like a partial scholarship, I think, at the time. Um, and uh, just really hating it. And I remember taking like the entry-level English courses and going to like the English classes uh, and just really just enjoying that a lot more, right? Like any of the writing assignments, like I took a lot more um, effort into that. Uh, and the TA at the time, um, she was a, she was doing her MFA in poetry. And she told me, like after reading my stuff, that, hey, like, have you thought about doing creative writing? Um, and uh, based on her, like, recommendation and encouragement, like, I, I changed majors. Um, and wow, <laughs> the, the, way I changed, the way I changed majors, too, was really... Probably not the way you should do it, but I just felt like I couldn't make a good case to my parents on why I should do that, mm-hmm. why I should make that change. And so I, I like intentionally flunked like a majority of my classes um, in, in pre-pharmacy my second year. Y'all can't um, see, but my eyes are like growing wide as he's telling this. You did you flunked to switch? You couldn't just, I don't know, do it traditionally and go to the register? Well, I could, but I just felt, you know, I think growing up, uh, in a Korean household, right? Like you are expected to be a certain way and, and, and follow a certain career path. Um, and, and that's coming from parents who I think are fairly liberal in terms of that standard. Mm. Um, but I felt like for them as immigrants, you know, they felt like, you know, how are you going to make a living? Like if you can't make a living here, like how will you survive? Um, and, and I think I was a little, I took the chicken shit move and, and just didn't want to have that difficult conversation uh, and so just decided, hey, if I just force the issue, it'll just have to happen anyway. <laughs> and <clears throat> using that really mature logic, oh, like, like I, I flunked, 
like there are so many. I mean, we could do a whole other, whole other hour on like on on the fallout from that, like how, how like how bad it was. But right, um, it, I, it did allow me to switch, um, and that was a huge moment for me. Um, and um, that's when I switched over. And when I look back at it now, like you know, there were a lot of things that weren't at Purdue. Like we didn't have a radio station, and I love music, and you know, I wanted us to have a radio station, and. I love film, but I had no one to talk film about, right? Like, I didn't know who the other people were on campus who were really into film. Um, and so uh, I just decided to form an independent film club, you know? And I just made a bunch of flyers uh, and, had, and recruited a bunch of my friends and, like, blanketed the campus. That's awesome. And I really, and I really thought no one would show up. I, I actually thought, like, maybe, like, five people would show up and we'd, like, just shoot the shit and talk about the films that we love. And, like a hundred people showed up. I think actually maybe more wow. than a hundred. And, and you know, I'm like 20, I'm like, I'm like 19. I have no leadership skills. Like, <laughs> you know, all these people showed up. You my have a hundred people. Yeah. I, my only expectation was that people would show up, uh, just a few. We would like, you know, say hello to each other. And then we just talk about the movies we love and we be, be, become friends. But like all these people showed up and they were all looking at me to like lead them towards like some type of answer. And that really like, I was so not prepared and I definitely didn't run the club as well as I could have. Mm-hmm. But that was the first moment when I was like, Oh, like all you have to do is just try. Like, do you know what I mean? Like all you have to do is right. Just, you put up these flyers. Yeah. You had low expectations and everything blew was blown out of the water. Yeah. And, and that was my, that was a huge lesson for me, which was, Oh, like I don't have to ask for anyone's permission. Like I can actually go do things and make things happen if I care about them enough, you know? Um, and I actually met some really good friends uh, through that club, um, you know, and, and learned a lot about films. Like, I met people who were in grad school who were, like, way more knowledgeable about it than I was. And, right. Uh, and and just, just, it was just, like, an incredible experience. And, but also, like, um, but, but that was, like, my main takeaway. Um, and it was the same thing with the radio station. Like, Did you start a radio station? No, no, we tried. <laughs> we tried. Um, I, it wouldn't surprise me at this point. I, I love it. They, um, each dorm at Purdue had, a, had, a, had their own radio station that, you know, guess what? No one listens to, right? Like, who listens to their dorm room um, radio station? And in order to listen to it, you have to get this, like, special cable. Like, no one's going to go out of their way. No. So it was basically just a hobby club. And um, at the time, like, in my dorm, there was this one guy that was actually like reporting in, into CMJ, like the college radio, like magazine mm-hmm. uh, and getting a bunch of free CDs and like reporting like our, our, our charts, even though like no one's listening. Um, and he had gotten into his head that we should have our own radio station. So um, he like researched everything about how to get into the FCC and all that stuff. And we actually like hit the pavement at Purdue and like looked for sponsors you know, like that's how far we got. And like it just never went through because obviously we couldn't convince people to put that much money into a college radio station. And again, but, guys, this is in the years before Google was really, really big. Oh, yeah. So so for him is, to do research for this is big. Oh, yeah. So this is 1999, right? Like yeah. this is oh, sorry, uh, 2000 when like Napster had just come out. Mm-hmm. And the idea of streaming was just like that wasn't even an idea in people's minds like the iPod hadn't even come out yet right, right. so i feel so old saying this but like that the challenges were huge like, i remember with this one guy coming up to me and going what if i built a radio device that 
streamed your MP3s on your computer to a device in your pocket. Like those are the conversations people people were having. Um, and so yeah, it was it was. You know, I think nowadays we would have just done a streaming service right through Google, and we, we'd have a radio station. Right. But back then, um, like we had to literally like learn how to code Linux and create a Linux server to 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 stream our stuff into Winamp. Like that was such oh, a challenge. And you said Winamp. <coughs> wow, you remember when you could get the skins for Winamp? And it was that got for those who don't know Winamp. Uh, Winamp was the uh, audio player before iTunes was big. Yeah, for Windows too. Yes, yes. Usually, what I love about these stories you're sharing is that. You just did it. It wasn't existent. You really wanted it. And you were like, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's a life lesson um, that I still kind of try to give to people that I mentor or manage or, or whatever is you don't have to ask for permission, right? Like you just have to go do it. The best way to convince people is just to go do it. You know, I think a lot of people try to waste time. Oh, so not try to waste time, but they just waste time by going through the quote-unquote channels, right? Like, I have to get permission to do this and this and this. Or, like, I have these obstacles. And I, I think a lot of that is mental. Yeah. Right? Like, I think a lot of that is a mental blocker. Um, and I think you just have to understand, especially in this day and age, like, anyone can do anything. You the know? resources are out there, that's for sure. Yeah. And now, whether you're going to be good at that is a whole different question. Or successful. But- or successful, right? And and what you what how you define success too? But um, you can do it. <laughs> like it's not that hard. Like if you want something, you can figure it out and you can try it. And so you you're you're in law school. You've changed majors. Yeah. And now you graduate with a, a, a bachelor's in creative arts. Is that how it worked? Yeah, it's. I think it's a bachelor of. Arts, arts. Yeah, probably. I'm pretty sure. And it, it was in creative writing in English at the time. And so did you go right <laughs> away into law school or were you like trying something else? No. So after uh, I graduated, um, so my, during my last year, I wasn't really sure what to do. Uh, because what happened was um, during my time in the creative writing department, I fell in love with poetry. Um, and it was specifically after seeing this Asian American poet Lee Young Lee read, mm-hmm. it had like a huge impact on me um, because he was an Asian American immigrant, and his poetry was all about his experience as an immigrant. And all the poetry that I was reading at the time was like, you know, like romantic poetry, like British romantic poetry, or um, like uh, uh, yeah, poetry from that era, or, or, or like poetry from the forties and fifties. Um, that sometimes like I just couldn't relate to, you right? Know? Um, and so it was like, like this other thing that I just didn't get. And it wasn't until I met him and heard him read that I was like, oh, my God, like what I think about could potentially be art. What? Right. Like that that concept was so foreign to me that it empowered me to a degree where like I became like really obsessed with poetry. Um, and at the time, uh, Marion Baruch, who's, who's the head of the creative development department there, or so the creative writing department in, at Purdue, um, like really uh, was kind to me and encouraged my writing and, 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 you know, gave me the confidence to feel like, Hey, like, I think, I think I'm good. You know, like, I think I'm good at this. Um, and so she, at the end of my last year recommended it, that I apply for a, a master of fine arts and poetry. And, she, you know, I was like, really? Like, do you think I could get in anywhere? And she was like, Oh, you'll get in somewhere, you know? And so I applied to a bunch of places Um and like most things in life, I put together that application at the very last minute. Um, and <laughs> there's something about uh, a deadline. 
uh, it just does it for you. Like I remember taking the GRE on like the last possible day that I was able to take it. Um, and I, I took, uh, so I, I submitted everything and I actually got into a few places. One of them uh, being um, the University of Virginia, uh, the creative writing program there. And that was uh, uh, being uh, led by um, Charles Wright, who's just one of the most amazing American poets alive today. Uh, Rita Dove, an incredible poet, and, and Greg, Greg Orr as well, who I worshipped at the time. So um, they only allowed, I think, I think they got like 800 applications that year, and they only allowed in five poets. So mm. when I heard back that I got in, like I, it was like the biggest moment of validation, um, but also relief that I had a purpose in life after <laughs> graduation. Like I was like, oh, okay, I don't have to wander the earth knowing that I have this degree that no one wants to hire me for. That's a um, legit stress that people have. Yeah, it's, it's crazy, right? Like, what do you do afterwards, right? Um, and so that was a huge relief for me. Like, I was like in cloud nine at the time. I was like, oh my God, like, you know, and, and also, you know, I became like a cocky asshole a little bit. And, um, <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, I'm awesome. But, but it, you know, it was a moment where I was like, okay, I can do this. And subsequently after college, like I went to, I moved to Virginia, Charlottesville, Virginia, and, 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 and went to the program. And that was such a humbling moment because, um, you know, I thought I was hot shit and I met the fiction writers and the poets and they were so good. Do you know what I mean? Like you were these blown people away. were, I was blown away yeah. by the talent in the room. Like I was like, I had never felt so small in my life. Like it was actually really depressing, um, to be in that room. Uh, so you and went also from cloud nine to cloud two? Cloud, cloud zero, uh. you know? Uh, and so I was like, oh my God, like what's, you know, and, and, you know, that, that was another great, um, moment, like learning lesson for me, which is during those, uh, years that I was doing my MFA, um, I got so much better at my craft because I was surrounded by people who were really good, you know, mm-hmm. at all levels. Um, the people that were in my class were really good. You know, my teachers were like, I mean, they were one of the most respected poets in the world, right? Um, and they were giving me feedback, right? And they were challenging me. And I got so good at that, you know, at this time. So and you were learning from the best of the best. Yeah, and I was being pushed. And I remember that being a thing in my head going, you know, if I want to be good at something, I should probably surround myself with really talented people and hope someone rubs off on me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I was like, if I can just be the dumbest guy in the room, I think I'm, I'll be okay. Um, but, um, yeah, that, so during that time, um, actually, uh, you know, after, after my MFA, like, I, I just wasn't sure what to do, like, you know, um, and during my MFA, uh, I, I, I also had gotten deported back to Korea. Oh, um, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, my family came when I was 14. And, you know, my dad was uh, working in, in, in Indiana at a, in a small town as a, as a doctor to get his green card and then to be able to sponsor the whole family. But I had turned 21 during that time, so I aged out. So I got to take a swig of water. Um, so I'd aged out, and so I didn't get the green card. And so I didn't, when I didn't get the green card, I just didn't have a status. And so I had to actually leave the program and go back to Korea um, and then reapply for a visa. Um, so I was actually out there in Korea for a bit and then came back. And I think my last year of my MFA, I wasn't so much creatively thinking so much as like thinking about survival. You know, like I was like, how do I survive after this? Like if I don't have anything lined up after um, my MFA, like I'll have to go back to Korea. So you kind of you went know. back. In, so it's kind of like when you were graduating, you kind of got nervous and got lost your mojo. Yeah, totally. And yeah. Um, became a total recluse um, and got really scared, I think, uh, actually. 
<coughs> and um, somebody, I don't, I can't remember who it was. Like somebody told me, like, you know, you should go to law school because that's a great way to just to get a steady job. You know, <laughs> and like, I mean, the number we, of we us that have heard because, that, right? Like, remember, like for us, like when we went to law school, like the the fucking like recession happened and like just wiped out the market, right? Um, but at the time, it seemed like a pretty good idea, you know? And uh, I mean, you're I not actually, wrong. I think it was literally the second week we started and everyone was like, ah, oh, sucks to be you guys. Yeah, they were like, oh, this is it. Good times end now. Um, and so I, I took the LSAT and all that stuff and applied and actually didn't actually even give it much thought in terms of where I was applying. Like, I literally applied to the University of Baltimore because I was watching The Wire, and I thought it would be cool to do criminal law, because why not? I'm sorry, you're telling me that we have the wire to thank for you coming into our lives? <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, that was, a, again, I was not thinking very well during that time. And, and I also had a friend who was going there, and she seemed to like it. That's the best uh, thing I've ever heard, by the way. And I didn't even look at, like, rankings or anything. I was like, you know what? Baltimore seems like a pretty cool town. And um, I applied to the University of Baltimore and got in, and so I was like, Case closed, you know. Based on the wire. You said Baltimore was a pretty cool town based on the wire. Based on the wire. Because I was like, criminal law, this could be cool. Um, You know, but one thing no one ever tells you is that you never make much money doing criminal law. So, um, unless you're one of the big guys. Uh, So, that's how I ended up in law school. Um, And my first year of law school, going to the class, I was like, this is not for me. (laughs) You know, like the immediate reaction of like, what do I do? And just thinking, okay, well, I can't just quit because then, I, then I'd have to go back to Korea. Okay, so l- let, me, let me try to think this one through. And it was during that time that I played Braid and, and you know, went down that path. So you go down this path and you figured out, okay, this is kind of what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to get into the video gaming industry. Nope. So did you come out of law school with the focus of, I got to do this? This is this is all I'm going to focus on, or did you just kind of, you know, I got to live, I got to survive, and if gaming is it, then it'll be it. Um, basically, yeah. Uh, you know, I after I played Braid, I was like, okay, I got to make a game plan, right? Um, and I told myself, you know, there are there are two things I love in life, right? I I love writing, um, and I love games. And specifically, I love film and TV and games, right? Okay. So I told myself, if I can get into either one of those areas, I will be very lucky and very happy. So what do I do? So <clears throat> I started kind of um, looking around the area uh, to see where I could intern or do anything like that. And I, I knew from just having played a lot of games during that time like that, Bethesda Softworks was in, in Maryland um, near, near Rockville. And then there was also Firaxis in Baltimore County. Right. Yeah. So and and big huge games was there at the time, um, working on uh, Kingdoms of Amalur. So I was like, okay, so we have all these game companies here. So all right, let me look into like what jobs I could possibly work there. And I remember just going onto the boards and being like really like their their job sites, you know, on their websites. Yeah. And thinking, being really disappointed because I was like, you know, I can only do like legal related work, and all they're looking for are like production assistants and <coughs> you know a lot of like more sort of mid to senior level type jobs. And I was like, well, I don't have any experience. So how am I supposed to get experience um, to, to work in this industry? Um, if no one will hire you to give you the experience? Exactly. Uh, the age old so, question, folks. Yep. Uh, and so during that time, I was watching a lot of movies, 
watching like every TV show and playing every game. Uh, so you can you can obviously tell from that that I wasn't doing really well in law school, and because um, my focus was totally off. And uh, you know, when you play games, like you know all the websites right that talk about games. Yeah, sure. And and so I was following a lot of like. Um, website like like entertainment websites that deal with games like Rock Paper Shotgun and Kotaku and um, uh, uh, I think a Joystick at the time I don't know if they were still around at the time but they may have been um, and then also some like bloggers right there was a lot of like cool like sort of academic game theory thinking or sort of like uh, uh, interactive um, um, interactive thinking you know uh, and so uh, I was following a lot of those bloggers too and trying to participate in those circles by trying to sound smart. And um, it occurred to me that I was like, you know what? A lot of these guys that work on these websites um, that, that are like kind of in the industry, they start off kind of working on these sites as like reporters or writers, writing reviews on games and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So I was like, why don't I just do that and see how far I can get uh, and what I can get out of that? And so I, I called one of my friends from college uh, and we had done, uh, his name is Brian, and he had done... Uh, at the time, like we got a group together in college to do a online magazine called Pulp Culture Mag, I think, um, and it was like a combination of like a manga and like film reviews and like you know uh, interviews with like actors and directors and writers. Uh, so we had done like two issues of that together, um, and it was actually not a bad magazine. Actually, um, we just couldn't make any money off of it, right? And people just um, uh, couldn't agree on a vision for the magazine. So I, I had worked with them and we were good friends. And so I, I called them up and I was like, dude, um, you and I love games. Like, why don't we start this website? And the website was called No More Lives. And we just started a block together. So like, um, you know, I, I got somebody to create the logo. Um, we made like business cards. Like I created the website uh, and started like typing about like the games I love and um, like some like uh, 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 theory on, on game design game design theory, uh, and, and narrative theory. <clears throat> and through that, um, we got invited to like a local game development event um, in, in Baltimore County and uh, where people were showing off their indie games. So we went there to like cover the event, right? Um, and during that event, I met a bunch of the people uh, that I ended up uh, being friends with till now. Like uh, the, uh, the girl that was running the event, Tina, she's over at Apple now and we're friends. Um, I met my future boss there. Um, I met one of my good game developer friends there as well. <coughs> and also met Sid Meier from a distance, which was really cool. Um, so basically, yeah, we just started, I just started going out there to events, right, like East Coast events and covering events and meeting people and, um, and, and networking with people. And that's how, how I started kind of finagling my way into like the outskirts of the industry. And is this website still around? No, it's it's dead. <laughs> it's it's very much dead. I think I think we gave it, it a good. It its purpose. It, it served its purpose. I think it, it it was up there for about a year and a half to two years, and then we were just like, it was too much. Uh, we couldn't devote enough time to make it successful, um, and we couldn't devote enough time to like maintain it. So we shut it down. Um, but yeah, um, so that's how I kind of networked to the outskirts of the industry, um, and when it was time for me to graduate law school. You know, again, I was like, well, what do I do? Like, I'm not really sure what to do. And one of the, my future boss, like, he was working at Bethesda, and he had left the company to form his own video game startup. 
Okay. And he needed, and he had read some of my stuff on No More Lives. Um, so he had read all some of that stuff and he liked it and felt like I could be like a designer and a producer in the future and that he, that I might be a good asset to the, to the, to the company that he's starting. Um, all because of your relationship with him and, and just networking and talking to him? Yeah, just networking and talking to him. Like at the time he was starting this um, Baltimore networking event called Innovate Baltimore. So I was actually helping him out on that a lot too. Um, and so we kind of started forming a relationship. Um, but he also knew I was working on this website. And he had read all my stuff and he thought like I could do it, you know, That's just based awesome. on that. And uh, yeah, I mean, he, you know, uh, he, uh, I just sent him an email. I was just like, hey, what's going on, dude? Like, you know, what's new in your hood? And he was like, actually, I left uh, Bethesda to start um, this uh, video game startup. Do you have an interest? And I was like, yes. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> The and moment the you've been waiting for. Yeah. And so that was when I started in the game industry um, in a startup, making really no money at all. I mean, during the four years that I was there, like, I barely made any money. But, but I did it because ha- I loved Were you happy? Um, I think happy is a relative term. I think I was really stressed. Oh. You know, I think towards the end of my run in the startup, I think it it, it just weighs on you, right? Um, when you when you're constantly um, battling for survival, because that's what a startup is, right? Like you're constantly battling for survival. Um, I think after a while, you just it just really wears you down, um, and it frustrates you too, right? But uh, your foot so, is in the door. Yeah, and I'm trying to just to be clear. Do you regret it? Absolutely not. I mean, that was the best experience of my life because before I joined, my only interest was in like maybe being like a creative producer or writer or Mm -hmm. an actual designer, somebody who does things, you know, on a a craft level. Um, And joining the startup forced me to be someone else, which was the guy that um, bets the contracts, the guy that makes the deals, the guy that has to go find the money, the guy that has to network and form the relationships. And it made me it, it, it forced me to stretch myself in areas that I wasn't comfortable in um, and like taught me a ton about business right. um, and how to run a startup. And it actually changed the way I thought about a lot of things. Uh, as an example, like I used to be a huge perfectionist um, before joining a startup. I would always like, I, I, for example, I was working on, on my second book of poetry for like seven years because it wasn't perfect. Right. You know? um, and when I joined the startup, and had to like just work really fast to survive, I realized it, the, the road to perfection isn't by being precious about your work. The road to perfection is by allowing yourself to be vulnerable, to show things at an early stage, so you can get fee- as much feedback as possible early on and adjust as fast and as quickly as possible at all times. That's actually really great advice. So that was huge for me because, again, I was a huge perfectionist. Um, and I was also always really like kind of combative with feedback. And I realized like if I'm going to survive, like I better listen to people, you know, and, and listen to their feedback. Um, and it may be like, it, it also forced me to prioritize hardcore, right? Because I had to do like 45 things. So uh, it made me prioritize like on, on a few things at a time so I could actually do things. Um, but that, that, that totally changed the way I thought about everything, uh, about creativity, about, about, about just... Um, how things are made, like it, it just it just changed everything. So, and not only did you get the experience, I mean, the the magazine and the, the articles you were writing gets you the foot in the door, gets you the the initial job in the industry, and now here you are 
at Riot Games, you're, you're doing so much more. And I mean, you love it. It's awesome. <laughs> I, I uh, you know, at Riot, we always have this uh, thing about imposter syndrome. Everybody always feels like they haven't been found out yet, that mm-hmm. they're a fraud, you know? Um, because it's just hard to believe sometimes um, the quality of the people around you and the quality of the work that you're being asked to do um, and the magnitude of the game. Like League of Legends is just mind-blowing sometimes, right? How many people play that game all over the world? And and so like you realize like you have an impact across the globe every day uh, is, is, like a, is like a daunting task. And sometimes you have to be, you know, doing your best impersonation of someone calm um, and, and just get through the day sometimes. But other times it's just a, such an exciting experience. Um, but uh, actually, you know, one thing I'd like to talk about is, you know, when I listen to these podcasts, especially when I wasn't in the industry, mm-hmm. people would always be like, and then I did this and then I got there. And they never like tell me, tell, tell anybody how they connected the dots. Do you know what I mean? Like, how did you actually get there? Right? Like, what did you do? Go for it. You know? Um, and so again, uh, this may or may not be helpful. Uh, but it, it really, uh, if I could give any advice to people, it's, um, you know, life, I think a lot of times is about luck and circumstance, right? Converging together to, to, to present you with an opportunity. Um, that, I think that happens to everybody, but in order to be in a position where you're, where you're in that, where you're in the circumstances where that look could come to your door, or you could arrive at that luck, um, means you have to be prepared for that opportunity, right? Um, you have to show up to work every day, be prepared, and do your best, and be, on, be very, very hard on yourself, right? And, and, and not sell yourself short, and work really hard. Because nothing is worse than not being prepared when the opportunity comes, and you have to let it go because you weren't prepared, yeah. right? Can you say like, that again? That's that's solid gold right there. Well, you have to work really hard to be prepared for the opportunities that come your way. Because when they come and you're not prepared, that's the worst thing that can happen to you. You need right? Like talk about regret, yeah. Like if and I, that's happened to me a couple times in life. And every time I look back, I'm like, I didn't work hard enough. You know? I had no one to blame but myself. Um you, you have to be prepared. You have to work hard. And you have to be hard on yourself. You know, um, Every time that I've done something that I felt embarrassed by, it's because I just looked at it and I went, eh, whatever. Like, that'll be okay. You know? and, and then the result would come in and, I, and it would not be great. And I would always be so hard on myself. But you know, at the end of the day, that, 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 that's a decision that I consciously made, right? Right. Like, that's you, a decision you adopted that I it. You accepted it. Yeah. You lived that, with it. Yeah, and I I consciously decided that I'm not going to deal with a certain issue because yeah, it's just too hard, you know. Um, and so I think if you're working in entertainment or you're trying to break into entertainment and you're making stuff, you know, at the end of the day, the people who read your material, who play your game, who who read your screenplay, or whatever, um, or, or who use your vase or whatever it is that you do, um, they don't give a shit how hard it was for you, right? Like they don't care that you were tired that day. They don't care that you didn't have enough resources that day. They don't care that, you know, um, you guys were hungry and needed to get food. All they care about is whether that experience is good and worth their time, right? 
Um, and if you have professional pride, like you need to make sure that you're very vigilant and hard on yourself to hit everything to the max as much as possible. So basically give it all you got. You have to. You have to. And it's hard. It's, it's not easy, you know? If it was, everyone would be successful, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of... I think the fact that the road to happiness is never <laughs> easy. And that's, that's the thing a lot of us don't want to accept. I mean, if you want to get to where you want to go, you got to put in the work. You do. You absolutely do. I mean, if you don't do the work, you're, never, you're not going to get anywhere. And I feel like that's almost a platitude, right? Um, but, but to use an example, right? So when I was at uh, my, the startup, uh, it, was, it was called Pure Band Games. And um, I didn't know anything about games, right? I mean, I was literally just showing to, up to work and going, like, I think there was like a good solid month, but I was just there, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what I was supposed to do, right? And when I was asked to do something, it was stuff that I'd never done before. And I had to just, you know, cross my fingers and hope that what I did was the right thing to do. Um, and I remember just being paralyzed by fear. Um, and, 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 and one day I was like, you know what? I've been staring at this document for like two days. And I'm wasting my time and I'm wasting precious time for the, for the startup and for the people in the room. So all I can do now is do my best and take a stab at it. Just any stab, right? doesn't even matter if it's wrong. Just make a decision, you know? And I remember I made a decision on the document and I shared it and I immediately got feedback from people and then like, you know, change the document again and realized at the time like, wow, like I have to not be afraid to fail. Like I have to be vulnerable enough to be okay to fail in front of people and to be humble enough to take their feedback and say, yes, you're right. Let me go fix that. <coughs> and if you hadn't, you would have been still staring at that document. Yeah, I, would have not, I wouldn't have grown. Um, so, yeah, those first couple years were really tough. Like, I mean, we were, like, really by the, surviving by the skin of our teeth. And um, it wasn't until, I think, the third year or so that um, Riot Games actually contacted us um, to work with them on, like, some smaller games. Um, and... Uh, I worked on one of the smaller games. Uh, I'm sorry to be so vague. Like I can't really talk about which games they were. Um, I think I we're happy to hear games. whatever you can share. So go for it. Um, and then after that, uh, like, a, like six months or maybe like a year passed by, and uh, we had to pitch another game. And then we flew out to Riot. Uh, I met um, their CEO and like pitched, we pitched a game to the CEO and to a bunch of the people, the, uh, uh, senior people. Um, and started working on a bigger, like, sort of mobile game. Um, and uh, that, well, I can talk about which game. That was Blitzcrank's Poor Roundup. Um, and uh, that was the first time that I actually worked, um, started working and talking to people from Riot and just being, like, super impressed, right? I was like, wow, these guys are super smart, you know? Um, and uh, I made a promise to myself that, like, with this game, I was going to do the best, right? Like, I was going to do the best. And the game was a struggle, too, right? Because, you know, you're talking about two separate development teams in different parts of the country. You know, um, we're trying to do this at like a, a fast speed with like as little resources as possible. Um, but I, I, you know, I think we really uh, put everything we had into that. And so when, when they came to visit, when, when those guys from Riot came to visit Baltimore and I got to meet them and talk to them, um, when I finally left Pure Bang, um, when, 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 my, when Anne was pregnant, um, they actually contacted me and told me like, hey, like we love the work that you do. 
you know, like, and we really think you could, you could do well here at Riot. We think you're a rioter. Do you want to apply? You know, and, you know, from the point of applying to like getting there, that's a whole nother ordeal. But I had to really like struggle for four years to be good enough for someone from that standpoint to accept me as a potential peer. Right. I mean, that's, Uh, that's the big thing. Cause you know, even just being considered for application mm-hmm. is one thing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I was pretty much self-taught at that point. And so that was really amazing validation. And I felt very honored and touched and also scared. Um, and, you know, I, again, I had to be prepared for that opportunity, right? Like if I hadn't done a good job, if I had just like phoned in that game, um, they would have never asked me to join, right? You wouldn't um, have been on the radar. Yeah, um, if I hadn't, um, you know, worked hard during those four years, like I wouldn't have been prepared to lead that project, right? Um, if I hadn't failed a bunch of times leading up to that project, like I would have not have done as good of a job, right? So um, I was prepared to take that opportunity, right? Um, and 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 that's how I got to Riot, right? Um, Luck and circumstance put a huge part, but I was able to take advantage of that opportunity when it came, and that's all that matters. And, you know, if you hadn't, you're, you're exactly right. They wouldn't have given you a second thought if you had phoned it in. Yeah, they would have been like, yeah, this guy sucks, you know. And um, you, you're kind of known at that point, right? I mean, the thing is, is that all of your experience, people are always watching. They're always kind of paying attention to what's going on. And the fact that it worked out for you is a testament to, to your work, your hard work and, and dedication. Well, I mean, it's not my hard work. It's the team's work, right? Fair um, enough. Uh, I mean, yes, uh, I played a part in it. Um, but if it wasn't for the team and the people that we work with, it wouldn't have been at that quality, mm-hmm. you know, um, which is not to discount my contribution either. Um, but it's such a team-based thing, right? Well, yeah, um, I mean, I'm, it's, Video games is, is definitely not a one-person thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, it's definitely um, a team aspect, just from what I know about it. Yeah, and, you know, I think at the end of the day, though, like, my job was to push the team to hit a certain quality bar. So I am proud of that fact, you know? Like, oh, okay, like, I think, I'd, I'd like to think that maybe I did push people to, like, reach a level that they weren't able to reach before. Mm-hmm. Um, and and to And to have everybody improve as part of that process. Um, I'd like to think that. Um, and that's something I'm very proud of. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, that, that you got to take advantage of those opportunities. So what does, <coughs> what does life, where do you see yourself going at this point? You think you're going to stay in this industry? Yeah, I think so. You know, what's interesting is life is life always throws a curveball, um, which is another platitude, but um, you know, when I joined Riot, I was really uncertain in terms of what was going to happen because I was so used to making games. The position that I entered in um, was not involved in making games at all, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I joined a publishing team, which is um, uh, basically a marketing team, right? Um, and I joined a, a, a department at Riot um, that focuses on like making that doesn't work on on, on the game itself. League of Legends, but on, on like um, other parts surrounding League of Legends, like all the creative stuff, right? 
um, like comic books and things like that. And so um, I was really hesitant at first because I was like, man, I, I think I really just love making games. Do I want to, you know, do I, do I not, do I want to be in a position where I'm not making games or not making, doing something creative right. when I'm managing a group of people? Um, is that something that I want to do? Um, and, and, you know, I just decided to take a chance. I was like, I would be crazy to say no to this, you know, opportunity. And so when I arrived and went to work on my first day, uh, and, and we had to go through a seminar too. And I, when I went to work the first day, I was like, it was like, just like being back on the first day of my, of, of uh, Pure Band Games, right? I was just like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing, you know? Yeah. It's just like, I don't know, but I guess they hired me to figure it out, you know? Um, and learn through that process that actually it's not so much you know, solving problems isn't so much about you trying to come up with the solution, but it's about talking to the people who are dealing with the problem and, 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 and asking them questions and listening to their needs, you know, um, and then finding solutions based on their needs instead of like imposing your own will, um, which actually isn't too far from the creative process, right? When you write something, like, for example, like when I write a poem, uh, when I write a piece of uh, work, um, or, or think about a game mechanic, uh, the way creativity works is, you know, somewhere, somehow, somewhere, like, an idea comes to you, and you start working on that idea, and eventually that idea takes on a life of its own. And it no longer becomes about what you want it to be, but it becomes about what it needs to be, right? And so you're serving that voice and that idea. So really, you know, great creativity is about... Um, selflessness. Uh, it's about um, uh, a lack, it's it's about service. It's about serving the idea and taking the ego out of the equation. Um, and so that was a commonality in, in my in my position uh, of like listening to people, you know, and 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 trying to find solutions based on what I'm hearing. Um, and the thing that really surprised me was how much I loved the work, and I loved the work because the work was challenging. You know, it was challenging me and forcing me to grow. But then I also love the people that I work with. Um, that's like the best part of my job. I just love working with those people. And so uh, I was actually surprised at how much a job that I thought I, I, I had doubts about enjoying because it wasn't what I was used to doing was something that I could really enjoy depending on the circumstance. So you went outside your comfort zone. You took this job. Yeah. It's not necessarily something you were prepared for. And it's turned out to be pretty good. Yeah, it's been pretty amazing. You know, I think um, now, I mean, I'm on, you know, I'm still with that team, but I'm also now kind of stretching out and, and, and working with uh, story teams as well, you know, story exploration teams, um, which is something that I've always wanted to do as well, right? Like I, I fell into that, again, through luck and circumstance, right? Um, because those teams needed help and I just happened to be there but I was also prepared to take that opportunity and do a good job, right? Yeah. Uh, and so now I work with like some really interesting like storytellers and and people that I've like worshipped over the years, and I'm like, oh, I can't believe that I'm here and, and doing this, right? Um, and and potentially like also working as a product owner in that space, not just a manager of a process, right? Or uh, as a leader of a process. So um, that's been really humbling to me. And again, I feel very lucky because I, you know, after I joined here, again, stumbled onto an, an opportunity that I really, really enjoy. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the thing that people always focus on is like how competent they are at something, you know, like oh, I'm really good at doing X, Y, and Z, right? Right, yeah. Um, and actually, I found that doesn't, 
I found that it doesn't actually matter that much. I think what actually matters in a, in a creative field when you're working with other people is trust. Um, people actually want to be able to, people want to know if they can trust your taste and if they can trust you as a collaborator. Um, and until you have that trust, they don't care if you're, if you're capable of doing something, right? Like the, your competency isn't really an issue. Um, I, I found that to be really interesting that it's all about trust first. Mm-hmm. Um, and after you build trust, then it's about the competency that you have. And then you can also cash in on that trust to do certain things that you, know, you may not have been able to do before. It's a powerful thing. Yeah. I, it I, is. I, feel like I, just, I feel like I just rambled. For no, you totally did not. Listen, I am so happy you were able to, to do this. And we've been going back and forth trying to, trying to make this work. And I'm glad we were able to finally get together. And I hate to like stop because you've been dropping nuggets of knowledge uh, all throughout. And so I'd hate to stop the role we're on. But what is we have to we have to do your corner. What is one thing and again you've been dropping knowledge like crazy so let's try to avoid advice if you can but otherwise what's one piece of advice resource reference um a person to look into that you would kind of recommend to someone who's chasing their dream wow um hmm okay so i'm trying to think of a you know, something people can reference and, and I can actually read. You know, uh, actually, one book that I recently came across, somebody told me about that um, that I that I checked out um, is called "Say Anything," mm-hmm. um, and the book is about leadership, and um, it, it talks about how how good leadership is about creating a safe space where people can say anything um, and being vulnerable enough of a leader um, where people are going to tell you anything uh, that's on their mind, right? Um, I bring that up because ultimately when you want to pursue the things that you love, you're going to find yourself in a leadership position because if you're the type of person that goes after something that they want and isn't willing to take no for an answer, I think you're a leader, you know, um, and you have the initiative to get people pumped up and to get yourself pumped up over the thing that you feel passionate about, um, and in that process, uh, you're going to be leading people, uh, whether you like it or not. And I think in order to be really successful at what you do, um, you really have to have a good group of people around you um, who are smart and are willing to say what's on their mind, even when it's uh, contrary to what's being presented in the situation, right? And there's a lot of studies out there of how people feel pressured when they're the only ones saying no or yes to certain situations, um, so it's really your job to be someone, a leader who's vulnerable, who's willing to admit something that they don't know, um, who's willing to uh, uh, say to people, hey, like, you can tell me anything, right, so, of creating that environment so, like, great things can happen with that level of communication. That's why I would suggest that book. Um, I, I know I'm probably leaving some really great books out, too. Um, but that's one I would recommend. And then I think as a piece of advice, um, <clears throat> Excuse me. And as a piece of advice, um, I guess that I haven't mentioned yet is um, when you go and do something, always ask yourself why. <laughs> you know, I think in life we sometimes go off and and, and just do do something because we feel like really driven creatively to do it. And I think, especially if you're a creative person, yeah, you should definitely pursue that impulse. Um, 
But you know, definitely ask yourself why you're doing things in a certain way at any given point, um, and question everything that you do and the decisions that you make. Like, be really, really hard on yourself. Um, don't let anything kind of pass by because you're tired or whatever. Like, be very vigilant. Um, and as part of that process of being vigilant, um, be vulnerable and don't be afraid to fail. Um, I think it's better to make a decision quickly instead of like sitting there for days and hours figuring out what decision to make. Just make a decision, stick to it, fail quickly, get advice from people, get feedback from people, take that feedback, iterate quickly, and just rinse and repeat because doing that will get you to where you want to go faster than trying to be perfect or trying to find the perfect solution because it doesn't exist. The perfect solution doesn't exist. Everybody gets there by going through many, many cycles over and over again by failing over and over again very, very quickly. I love it. I love it. And yeah, guys, I hope, don't worry. Everything will be in the show notes. Uh, you should definitely check it out. If you missed any of these words of wisdom, they will be there. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story because I think it's a very inspiring one and one that, you know, if you have a creative desire, you know, pursue it. Look at, look at what he's done. It's amazing. By the way, like you don't, like I said, you don't have to wait for anybody. Like, look at, you know, I, I would say, um, if, if you know, if you follow film and you know who the Duplass brothers are, you know, those guys are a great example of like their $3,000 film school and how they made films on nothing. Um, with all the resources that are out there, anybody can do anything. There is nothing stopping anyone from doing anything except for themselves and their commitment level. That's it. It's really simple. I got nothing else to say. Thank you. Awesome. Dude, thank you so much for having me. Uh, and thank you for listening to me rant for an hour and 16 minutes. This, this was very interesting. Guys, I could not stop smiling all through the episode. Yujun was dropping words of wisdom left and right. Knowledge bombs just going off all throughout the episode. If you missed any of that or any of the links he shared, be sure to check out the show notes page over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com slash episode 27. That's episode 27. Until next time, guys, start implementing those words of wisdom and keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing. Keep chasing.